This is the final word daily. England playing India at Trent Bridge. We are coming to you from Trent Bridge and also from Canada because that's the way that we do things on the final word. It was day two of the second test match, a big day for runs. Daniel Norcross has the job to tell us all about an entire day's test cricket in the space of 30 seconds. Blundell failed to reach his 100 at Lords the last game. He joined Mitchell on the honours board this time at Trent Bridge as Mitchell crammed on 190 runs, Blundell 100 and something, they put on 240 odd. It was the same old story for a rather pitiful England attack that could barely get the ball to swing off the straight. That second new ball did absolutely nothing for them, but once they made the breakthrough, there was a kind of scatter of wickets. Yes, Michael Bracewell on debut made 49, but he was undone as England went through a passage of cagey play, hanging the ball outside off something they didn't know what to do with it a stick or to twist the New Zealanders. Then wickets clattered, then Mitchell was left with Trent Bolt, and he just failed to make it to that double hundred that he was so clearly eyeing up and he feathered one through to folks to give Potts his only wicket of the match. England went out to bat, they lost Crawley to a divine delivery the best ball bowled in the entire match for once he was unlucky. Then Pope played some beautiful shots in getting to a half century but also played a couple of rather loose ones and could have been out. Two drops by Daryl Mitchell. England could be in much worse position but they are still just about fighting his 94-1. Phew. Beautiful <laughs> stuff. I love I loved the race caller uh, acceleration down towards the end. It it, it, it was a Daryl Mitchell day uh, at, at Nottingham. I mean, it was a Daryl Mitchell test match, really, yes. at, at Lords until England got the better of it at the end. But this is this is where I want to start. Uh, Daryl Mitchell wasn't supposed to be in this team. Henry Nichols uh, was unavailable for the first test, and that gave him a spot, made 108 there. And then with Williamson missing out, that meant Nichols could come back without there being any squeeze. Uh, and Mitchell goes on and makes 190 here. Now, he's... He's not supposed to be this good, you know. He's a mm. he's a chippy all rounder who does a bit here and there. He's basically Grant Elliott uh, for the new era, Daryl Mitchell, and yet here he is peeling off back to back tons, nearly getting a double, uh, and and also putting together the most important partnerships of both of those tests in innings where New Zealand are in trouble, and he and Tom Blundell save the day. It, it's a, a remarkable couple of weeks in the life of Daryl Mitchell. It's extraordinary, isn't it? I, I wonder partly uh, that. England haven't had plans for him because they've not played that much against him, maybe, in, in red ball cricket, or, or indeed anybody played against him that much. This is only his 11th test match. But actually, I, I think it's more than that. He played proper test match innings. He, I, I think I probably mentioned it to you last week. He played it with an aggressive defence. He was as delighted to hit the ball firmly to mid-off for no run as he was to whack it for four. Very occasionally, elements of that hard-hitting sort of white ball cricketer came out when he would suddenly become frustrated with James Anderson and have a go at him, you know, try, try and smack one back over his head. But it was increasingly rare for that to happen. He knew that the pitch didn't have many demons, that the ball was barely swinging around, barely moving off the straight and that he had a tired attack that he and Blundell had made tired. They'd earned the right. And I think he thought, well, I'm, I'm out here now. How many other opportunities am I going to get to 190, 200 runs in Tesco? He was going to fill his boots. It was a tremendous knock. And it was actually, you, if you looked at his pulling and his hooking, it was more pulling than hooking, he got right on top of every shot. Now, I mentioned earlier that Ollie Pope played a, some sumptuous shots and is actually looking in pretty good nick for his 50. But... He did pull the ball in the air a few times. And Mitchell just never did. He didn't give a hint of offering a chance off those kind of deliveries. Now, he could have been out very cheap. He could have been out for three on the first day. Had that happened, New Zealand would have been 170 for five. But 
He ground England into the dust and their ground fielding got worse. Their catching got worse. Uh, we saw some uncharacteristic misfielding from Jimmy Anderson at one stage. I mean, that can happen when you're out in the field for a long time. Mm. But they were marvellous, the, the two of them. And let me give you a stat, which I think you're going to like, Jeffrey, because you do like a number. These two, Blundell and uh, Mitchell, have become the first pair of batters to score two partnerships in excess of 190 against England in England since Bradman, I think, Bradman and Ponsford in 1934. That's a long time. <laughs> and there is no way that you would think it was going to be Blundell and Mitchell. Mm. In the same breath, Bradman and Ponsford, Blundell and Mitchell, the, the, the great pairings. But but Blundell's doing this job as as well. So if you know if Daryl Mitchell mm. is the new Grant Elliott, um, Blundell's just making himself the new B.J. Watling. You know, come in at six or seven when there's a bit of trouble uh, and and get New Zealand out of it calmly and efficiently. Uh, didn't quite get the hundred at Lords as you said, but got to one hundred and six in this match. So uh, you know, got to got to not have that slight disappointment. I always find it strange when we focus on, you know, the disappointment of having made, say, 190 rather than having made 200. <laughs> uh, most players will probably take 190 if you offered them that when they were on naught. But, uh, you know, Blundell managed to, to not have that frustration of missing out on 100 on tour as well. Uh, and then, then we get Michael Bracewell coming in. And this, so this part is fascinating. The, the Bracewell tribe in New Zealand cricket. So there were four Bracewell brothers uh, John Bracewell was an off-spinner. Brendan Bracewell was a, a quick, and they both played for New Zealand. There were Douglas and Mark Bracewell both played first-class cricket in New Zealand, didn't make it to the, the national team. Their father played district cricket, played in the Hawke Cup. Um, he, was, he was also a John Bracewell. And then there's the third-generation Bracewells. There's Doug Bracewell, who's the seeming swinging all-rounder who's played for New Zealand before. And then Michael is his cousin, so he's, he becomes the fourth Bracewell to play for New Zealand. Don't say Bracewell! high-level cricket <laughs> in New Zealand. I can't help it. There's a brace of them. There's more than a brace of them. It, it's extraordinary. But, but in he comes. And, and this is the bit that really gets me, Daniel. They've brought him in as a spinning all-rounder. Now, he spent most of his career mm. as a wicketkeeper. Uh, he's 31 years old. He's not a, an up-and-comer. He, he played 10 seasons of first-class cricket in which he bowled 14 overs. Uh, he had seven seasons where he never bowled at all. He didn't take a wicket in the first 10 years of his first-class career. And then suddenly in the last three seasons, he's become an off-spinning all-rounder and he's picked up 27 mm. wickets in three seasons and uh, bowled hundreds and hundreds of overs. So they brought him in uh, as, as in place of Colin de Grandholm, essentially as an all-rounder, but one who can do a bit of off-spin tweaking. And he played a beautiful 49. He was just lacing shots through the offside, off his legs, um, looked superb coming in at number seven. It's very New Zealand. It's very New Zealand. The, the BBC Chief cricket writer Stefan Schemelt opined on seeing a little bit of Bracewell that he thought if he was playing for England, he would be either their second or third best batter after Root and possibly <laughs> on a par with Stokes, which does, I don't know what it tells you about England's batting at the moment, but it, it, it tells you something about the quality of Bracewell's knock. Uh, he he unfurled some lovely, lovely shots. It, we've got to caveat that by saying that he came in at what was it, 405 for five? Uh, tired yeah, bowling attack, a pretty manky ball sure. that wasn't doing anything on a, on yeah. a pitch that wasn't offering much. So, you know, he, he had the best possible opportunity and he did look a bit nervous when he first came in. He pushed his first ball and went herring off for a completely impossible single. But you're right, it's yet another Bracewell being a more than serviceable cricketer who, as you say, used to be a keeper. I, I, I don't know, I'm looking forward to seeing his offspin if it's required because... Those numbers are a little odd, aren't they? Average is 47 and a half. At his age, to have taken 27 wickets, is he an off-spinning all-rounder? Time will tell. Mm. Uh, but I think there's every chance we might see him because 
if anything, there was a bit of turn out there, and Jack Leach was starting to extract some. He had a really tough time of it, Leach. He bowled a very long spell, and he didn't mm. bowl badly. But it, he was rather unfortunate in being selected on a pitch that very rarely do spinners prosper. And, and well, when I, England won the toss, I, I, they elected to bowl. So he was bowling on the first and second days, you know, which was a little bit unlucky. But he had a really tough time of it. Could just be the epitaph for Jack Leach's entire career. That's I mean, true. It, it, yes. it doesn't seem to have been a test match where he didn't have a tough time of it. Uh, two for 140 for Jack Leach in the end after having to do a lot of work. And uh, Matthew Potts as well coming down to earth. One for 128, picked up the last wicket. Like you said, but, you know, after that dream start at Lords, where he was just bagging wickets in his first over, uh, he had to toil and toil and toil. Stuart Broad gave up a century as well. Um, and, and James Anderson, the New Zealanders just kind of uh, girded their loins and kept him out yep. um, as best they could. But three for 63 for him from a, uh, 27 overs, I think he bowled. So extraordinary economy. But uh, given that, you know, when, when a team's racking up 550, most of the bowlers are going to go for more than 100. And most of them did. Well, absolutely. And uh, he bowled well. They weren't quite his conditions. I mean, if you're not here, you can't really appreciate just how windy it is. You might be able to hear it now, though, because the wind is whistling around and there's a thing there might be a paper bag about to come into shot no no it's just landed on a chair uh, but there's it's been that kind of a day and <laughs> oh the excitement oh well, i was I on the edge of my seat <laughs> so was the paper bag it was it was it was floating through the air but I, I, it just didn't quite make it into shot uh, but you know it hasn't helped in a way the swing bowlers and england don't have a big bang it in bowler that they really do need uh, it, it's been not inclement. We had half an hour lost to rain today. They made it back up, of course. Just came out of nowhere. And it just spiced up the pitch uh, for a brief period of time. But on, on Anderson, I mean, mm. one of my favourite passages of play was when Australia were, were five down and uh, Bracewell was on 49. England adopted this extraordinary policy. They had bumpers at one end from broad and they had Anderson hanging it outside off stump from the other end. And it was the most deliciously chaotic stalemate you could wish to see it was very cerebral mm. cricket and in the end Anderson won it because he got the wicket and no one ever really got after Anderson which is a testament to his skill yes uh, to a degree to the length he bowled he, he bowled a length that you couldn't get after um, and mm. it was also a response I think to the fact the pitch didn't give him quite what he wanted and that there was just this very annoying wind and you know how Jimmy Anderson can look less than happy at the best of times, but when there's a wind yep. and he's 39 years old and his weather-beaten face is like looking, oh, wolves, really? Oh, i got to go on mm. doing this. Uh, yeah, it, it, England cut a sort of slightly <laughs> weather-beaten dash, but he, he, he stood again. I mean, I wouldn't say he was head and shoulders above. Uh, Stokes was probably a more dangerous wicket-taking threat through most of the innings mm. but he provided a control and, and he broke the stalemate and it created some great comedy cricket towards the back end of New Zealand's innings So 5.53 all out for New Zealand and then England reply people who just look at the scorecard will see Crawley caught behind for four and think that he yep. played another lavish drive he, he didn't he got a perfect delivery from Trent Bolt scrambled seam uh, it decked away but it it kicked off the pitch as well mm. and leapt at him and took the shoulder of the bat and uh, while he was trying to play straight and, and defend against the inswinger so you know he was he played with soft hands he did the things he was supposed to do but uh, that ball was anything but soft and it, it flew through for the catch behind it was it was a ball of the ball of the match Jeff it was a ball of the match and mm. uh, I was with Jared Kimber on SEN commentary and, and he said how much one believes in these things I don't know but he was having a convincing case 
he said it's a three-quarter seam ball and so you're, mm-hmm. you're basically angling the seam more towards gully and it had the effect of the ball swung in slightly didn't it and then it kicked off the pitch and went away and mm-hmm. I, I do feel for Crawley there because there are many times when we say well what kind of a shot was that on this occasion he, he covered his off stump, he stayed there, he didn't really do anything wrong, but it's just nicked the shoulder of the bat, and that's when you're thinking, well, I might as well go out and have a whack next time, <laughs> if you know what I mean. So, um, yeah, it was a beautiful piece of cricket. It was a lovely, lovely ball from a really class bowler. Simple as that. And then Ollie Pope goes on and makes 51, and, and this is interesting because Ollie Pope at first drop uh, has been no, not greeted with warmth by a lot of people, but it was explained that this was basically Ben Stokes as the new captain saying, I want Pope in the team, but I'm going to bat at six. I want Best though in the middle order. Root will be at four because that's where he goes. Um, and so, you know, it was either put Root to three and, and Pope to four or vice versa. So it was really um, Stokes' backing that has kept him in the team, even though out of position. And, you know, he, he had better batting conditions, more more Ollie Pope-style batting conditions, more, you know, oval in county championship batting conditions to make use of and uh, looked pretty good in his brisk 51. But I don't think it necessarily answers any questions about his ability to, say, counter a moving ball, you know, in the, the second over of a match on the on the first morning it doesn't tell us whether he's a top three batter because yeah you know i i've as you know i think ollie pope is a supremely gifted and talented player and i think if he'd been in a normal england team from 15 20 years ago he would have slotted in at five and he would have had a career a bit like ian bells he'd have found his feet he'd have learnt about test cricket and he might well have been up at number three by the time he was in his late 20s but the, making him do that early when he hasn't done that for Surrey and we know that, that if you're about the top three it's about what you leave as much as what you play uh, yeah. Ollie Pope has got so many scoring options a lot of top three players actually don't have many scoring options and they limit themselves to the, the ones they've got especially openers you think about Alistair Cook for example think of Tom Latham mm-hmm. they're supremely good at denial now teaching a really talented number five about denial on the job is quite mm. tricky so, look, uh, the jury will remain out. It doesn't stop me marvelling at some of the shots. Some of those cover drives today were to die for. They were beautiful. But similarly, he hit two sixes, one straight over the, the wicketkeeper's head and one down to long leg, which were shots he just shouldn't have played. And mm. he, he got away with them today, uh, and he won't get away with them on other days. So, look, uh, he may well learn on the job, and he may well deny himself, and he may well turn into a, a great number three. But it's hard. It's, it's, it's called, it's, as they say, it's called test cricket for a reason, Jeff. Ah, oh, they do like that, that one. They also like do you like that it's one? It's a funny game. Yeah. It's a funny yeah, it's a old good game, one. Real, Jeff. real original stuff. Yeah. Oh, and are you seeing it like a watermelon? No. Oh, yes. uh, ban, ban all of it. I'm going to ban all of that stuff from commentary. <laughs> um, the final word Hall of Fame is when we pick the most final yep. word moments of the day. I, I enjoyed the two overs after the lunch break where you thought, you know, maybe they come back and consolidate. Uh, and no, it's Michael Bracewell on debut who plays a gorgeous on drive for four, then a crisp pull shot through mid wicket for four, and then in the next over, uh, Daryl Mitchell carves a cut shot off Leach for four, dances down the track and pops him into the stand for six, cuts him for three, and then Bracewell drives him for four. The first two overs after the lunch break, and they've just gone absolutely yeah. hog wild, laying into the bowling, runs are flying, the scoreboard's catching fire. And I just thought, well, you, you, you have to enjoy watching this New Zealand side play. Uh, yes, I think that's a perfectly good selection. My, my one is different. It's, it's more tragic in a way. <laughs> it's... 
Um, when Broad went for the bumper strategy and Bracewell, the left-hander, was in, along with Daryl Mitchell, a right-hander. And because they insisted mm-hmm. on just bowling bumpers to a sort of 6-3 lakeside field, it might even have been 7-2, I don't know. Uh, mm-hmm. Ben Stokes, the captain, because he kept getting singles, had to go from, well, he decided to go from mid-wicket to mid-wicket. At Trenbridge, that's about 140 yards. So he was running 140 <laughs> yards one ball after the other ball after the other ball and there was this just beautiful sight of England fielders just traversing the entire outfield and going <laughs> they go back again and they didn't complain they didn't go oh for God's sake they just they just got on with it they just went jogging it mm-hmm. was like it was like watching people you know mm-hmm. down, a, down a, a promenade on the sea uh, having their morning constitutional I, I rather enjoyed it <laughs> Um, I'd also throw in there the fact that so when they were six down, New Zealand then lose three wickets in seven balls. Daryl Mitchell's on about 169 when this starts, and then he's he's batting with the number 11, Trent Bolt, to, to see if Mitchell can get to 200. And Trent Bolt, twice in his first four balls, charges down the pitch yeah. and whacks Jack Leach down the ground for four. Um, you have to enjoy watching Trent yes. Bolt operate. He hit another what, three boundaries, I think, and, and Mitchell got to 190 and um, ended up feathering one behind. So Trent Bolt was still there. Trent Bolt was doing his job. It's just he did his job from about halfway down the track most of the time again against the spinner. Uh, so there are our nominations for the Hall of Fame on day two. And that has been the final word daily. Uh, we do this show every day of the Test Series. That's why it's called The Daily. Uh, Adam Collins will be back tomorrow with Daniel Norcross. I'm Jeff Lemon. Uh, if you like what we're doing, patron.com slash the final word is where you can support it. And aside from that, we'll see you tomorrow. Goodbye. Sorry if I ran out to empty this, so you know what I meant here. I had to go. <laughs>